Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to the latest episode of Soccer in the City. Tom Kolker, Glenn Crooks, Roberto Bromwitz, and we're bringing in our DP from Argentina off the bench, Ariel Hudas. Ariel, how are you? Very good, Tom. How are you? Good. Uh, John Rojas cannot be with us this week. He'll be back, but it's always a pleasure to have Ariel on to join us. He is, of course, Roberto's partner on the Spanish broadcast. Uh, Guys, a fun episode this evening. Of course, we're going to recap New York City and New England. We may get into some Euros, some Copa. There is just a million soccer games on right now. So just from a fan's perspective, um, I know obviously we all get to broadcast, but I know we're all fans first and foremost. It's, it's been so much fun to have these games on all day. I've just been trying to watch whenever I can in the office in between meetings and appointments, just even having it on in the background has been great. Uh, but of course, we're going to start with New York City FC. Glenn, I'll begin with you. A tough 2-1 loss uh, at home to the New England Revolution. Uh, this is a game that had a little bit of everything, and it turns out it's the ghost of Tommy McNamara that ends up killing New York City yeah. in the end in the 88th minute. But, you know, a lot of dram- a lot of dramatic moments late in this match, but you rewind to the first half and God, New York City had two fantastic chances to go up early. Of course, the, the PK miss from Castellanos, great save by Turner. He's been phenomenal. And then the point blank save, point blank save on Castellanos a few minutes later. Uh, Bo with a rocket, a marvelous shot to put New England up one nothing. New York City would respond. You go late into the second half. Uh, Diago Andrade gets his first goal in a New York City uniform. Uh, New England takes the lead. City responds, a corner kick goal from Jerry Schrotty. And then, of course, the dagger late in the match from Tommy McNamara. Just uh, first of all, your overall thoughts on this match. You look at the stats, possession was fairly even. New York City, big advantage in terms of the shot department, uh, I believe 18 to five total, but uh, in the end, New York um, falling to New England 2-1 late on the McNamara game winner. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's the kind of game that was uh, fun to watch. It was fun to broadcast. Uh, it was a high-paced affair, and I think we're going to get a very similar kind of game Wednesday night against Atlanta. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was unfortunate. Uh, the uh, but Matt Turner, I mean, is, is when you go up against a goalkeeper that uh, comes up with the, some of the things he did. And you, you talk about a guy who's at the top of his game. And I, I'm just wondering which American keeper is better than Matt Turner right now. Does he have the experience of a Zach Steffen who barely plays at Manchester City? I mean, does he have the uh, experience of an Ethan Horvath? who barely plays at Club Bruges, but we know that those two guys are considered maybe the top two uh, in our uh, in Greg Berhalter's uh, camp. Uh, we know Sean Johnson is, is very likely uh, getting a chance to uh, be called up to the Gold Cup. I would imagine Matt Turner's a lock now if he wasn't already. Uh, but this guy is, um, this is not new. What he did the other night was extraordinary, but those sorts of saves that he makes and, and how consistent and disciplined and his timing to come 
all the goalkeeping aspects that you're looking from 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 a, a an elite superior keeper, he's got it, and he's one of the reasons that they're at the uh, top of the table uh, in in the East, and uh, very deservedly the uh, the player of the week. He was my vote, uh, and I don't think you know I didn't see every game, uh, and sometimes the goalkeepers they get lost in this vote for player of the week, uh, but that PK save I'm sure helped him. And, and that one you described about uh, the point blank from Castellanos a little bit later on. So he Castellanos denied twice and all of a sudden Castellanos and the yellow cards are pretty even four goals and three yellow cards because he got the book during the course of the game. That's something that Matty Lawrence and I are having some fun with. You know, he, he well, and I was going to bring up the, the player of the, of the week, but I know you don't believe in that vote. So I didn't mention it. Oh, Okay, it's I it I I agree. It's a little bit, uh, but but he was so clear cut that I think let's give him the props. And uh, but Matt Turner was the player of the match, player of the week, and uh, you know all I can say is there was some pretty horrible marking on that uh, uh, on that set piece goal uh, that uh, New England scored to go up two uh, one. Uh, otherwise, you know, I, I just think it was a fun match and, you know, unfortunate for New York City to, to drop it. But uh, and give New England credit for coming in on the road and Bruce Arena didn't. They were going for three points all the way. His first substitutions told you that Tejon Buchanan and Buxa coming in. I mean, I was he was going for three. It was a great game to watch. I mean, it, it was a hell of a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed myself, obviously, for New York City fans. They're not going to enjoy the final score. Mind you, but, uh, you know, New York City battled back twice to, to get back into the game. But the difference in the game, obviously, was Matt Turner. Uh, I mean, aside from the, the two amazing saves that he has on Castellanos with a penalty and the, the point blank save, the, the one at the end of the game that preserves the win on Maxi Morales. Because that was a brilliant shot from the angle that was ticketed yeah. for the post you know, on the inside of the post. And that would have tied the game, and he just has a great reaction save. And we've talked about Matt. Maxi couldn't believe. Maxi couldn't believe it. Did you see yeah, his reaction? He was, he was like, shocked. he couldn't believe yeah. it. He thought he had it. He thought he had it tied. And uh, you know, he he's played very very well against New York City. Seems seemingly every time they play New York City. And right now, when you start looking at who the best goalies in MLS is, you got to put him pretty. You got to put him either at the top or pretty near the top because it's between him and Galese probably and Sean Johnson a little bit behind him. But um, it's going to be an interesting Who, who's camp, the best, I'll tell you that much. Who's the best American keeper right now? What do you got? You know, that, that, that's a tough one. See, so, so and I'm not I basing spoke, it just on a this. single game. No, no, I'm not on. basing it on a single game, okay? But no, 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 who's no, the best that. keeper? I get that. Well, it, again, I don't get I don't get to see uh, Horvath and Stefan all the time. So well, they don't play. To, yeah, there's to not say. much to well, see. They Har don't play. Horvath played. They, they didn't play a lot this year, but he's <laughs> played in the past and all that. But, you know, every time he plays for the U.S., he comes up big and he came up huge for the U.S. against Mexico to come into that situation and to do what he did. No, 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 no. That, that's a bigger that, that's a bigger story. And as a matter of fact, once that game was over and we were talking about it, one of the things that I said, and I tweeted it out as well, is that we have a goalie controversy as far as the U.S. national team is concerned. Because I think that Horvath is as good of a shot stopper as Stefan is, but he is so much better with his feet. It's not even close. That part of the game is a do no you know, Do you know how much pressure there was on Horvath to go into that game at that moment? 
Do you know how much pressure there was? You're going to say no. None. No, I disagree. None. I disagree. No, because the expectation, no, the expectation when you come into a situation like that is that if you succeed, fantastic. If you don't, it's understood that it was a tough spot. No, No, psychologically, no no. pressure. I disagree. Stakes are too high. The stakes are too high. It's U.S. Mexico. Understood. You're involved with this because you've been been in college. You've, You've been in college. You're not involved in this. You've just gotten into it a little bit lately. This goes back forever. It's I'm talking US about Mexico. athletics. I'm talking about athletics. I'm Athletes. talking about that. That 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 supersedes it. It's U.S. Mexico. You don't want to be the you don't want to be the guy who screwed up a U.S. Mexico final. You don't want to. You're be not supposed. You're not supposed to save a PK. You're not supposed to save it. If you do, he, you're a hero. He if you don't, you're not supposed to. I know, but he had. And it was a great save. Before, it was. I'm not diminishing anything he did. I'm saying he didn't come in. That was not a, a high pressure situation to me. Okay. No, you're, you're just not going to get it. Oh, let's bring him anyway, back to New York City. Let's go. Yeah. Let's bring Ariel into Ariel, the what do you think? Ariel, how would you like? Uh, how do you like Brazil beating Argentina? No, I don't like it. But right now, at this moment in, in Argentina national sim history, I would not gladly, but I would I, I would take it. I mean, we are we are so bad right now that anything can happen but going back to goalkeepers in in mls right now uh turner is uh, the best one around in the league right now maybe fighting a little bit with jonathan bond the the the, the english guy for for la galaxy i i i like him i i like his style but uh, how about galese yeah galese too galese too but comparing uh this guy bond with uh galese or or, or Turner, there's no, there's no business in, in, in dealing with that. I mean, uh, they are so much better, especially Turner and Galese. Galese is, a, is another style of, of goalkeeper. He's a, a South American goalkeeper. He would be a star in South America in Copa Libertadores or any tournament like that. He's doing it uh, right here in MLS. He's fine. He's uh, great. And uh, he's a... Um, Probably both of them, Turner and Galese, will be fighting for uh, the goalkeeper of the year in, in October, November, something like that. And we, and we should give Sean Johnson. Uh, he, he came up with an unbelievable save as well. There, so New York City's yeah. trail. It was to, New York City was trail 2-1, right? When Buxa got in and got that shot. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah so correct. That was, you know, that, and those are the kind of saves that Sean can make. Uh, Real, what I, did you think overall of the performance? Uh, who's Galeste? New York City's? No, oh, no. I know it was a it, it was a shame that uh, the, this. I mean, I could forgive the uh, the goal by Bo. It was a very big goal, a, a nice goal, and uh, even though the ball went through uh, the middle of the central defenders, uh, I mean, you could for uh, forgive that. He Bo is a great goal scorer, and uh, it was difficult to save and, and all that but the other two i mean they need to look it up they need to look it up really because uh there were two serious mistakes by by the defenders even uh ronnie after the game said defensively and he hasn't said this in a long time because that's been a pretty secure part of uh 
the team under Ronnie Dyla, but he, he didn't like the way they defended either, you know, so hopefully we'll get some more specifics from him. Uh, He's going to be speaking on Tuesday ahead of Wednesday. We're recording this Monday morning or Monday evening. So well, hopefully we'll get this out right away. So was it just some misassignments or what was the problem defensively this match? Well, the way I, I, well, first of all, off the, off the uh, bell goal, it was, they were so focused on books. So this is my read on it. I mean, two players went to Buxa, who is the best uh, header of the ball in the penalty area in the league. So it's not, you know, it's not uh, unusual that you would focus on him. But two players ran to him and left Bell, this uh, this kid who started at left central defense all by himself. And, you know, honestly, it was a very easy goal for him. It just landed on his head and he just nodded it home. So um, that's that's a mistake. I mean, that's a huge mistake. And then, I mean, you rewind the goal uh, that uh, Tommy McNamara scored, and it was just, it was disorganization at the back. The ball was played between Tinnerholm and Cheneau for Tejon Buchanan to run onto, and he was, uh, there was no chance to deny his service. And that's where, to me, that's where that broke down. Also, you have um, um, Malte Aldmanson that he's running with McNamara for about 30 yards, but he lets him get in front of him. And so McNamara has an easy tap in. Olmanson is just basically shadowing him, which doesn't really help the situation. What else did you see, Ariel? Anything else? When you say poorly defended, what, what anything you saw? Yeah, I think that the, the worst thing was uh, there was always somebody from uh, New England free and available in, in, in the box in those, uh, in those plays. I mean... Uh, that cannot happen. This is a, a veteran defense. I mean, these are guys that have been playing together for at least three, four years. They should be able to do it. Of course, Callens was not there, but uh, and he's he, he's very good. And uh, obviously, missing him, I believe, and I understand that has something to do with these distractions that we saw. Uh, on Saturday, but anyway, this this shouldn't happen. This, I mean, there were uh, avoidable mistakes, avoidable mistakes. I, and I a shout out to Alex Callens, by the way. I mean, he started for Peru and they won yesterday. So a, a shout out to him. I mean, that's a and he played well. He was uh, rated as the best defenseman on, on the team. He finally gets a start and gets to show uh, what New York City was missing on Saturday. It's nice uh, from a, a standpoint of. He's been away so often. Uh, he's been called in frequently over the last uh, several cycles, but never plays. And so he's missing yeah. from New York City's matches. He's not playing for Peru, but now he gets a 90 minute shift. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's great stuff for him. I, I wonder, uh, as from the New York City standpoint, when you're defending so much. Uh, look, it's effort. You know, you have to have an appetite to do it. There's recovery. There's all different one V one winning your battles. But so much is reliant on communication, starting from the goalkeeper. And I just sometimes, and I'm not saying this is Sean Johnson necessarily, the central defenders are, are vital in the communication process, but I just sense sometimes that there's the lack of cohesion or, or movement in the proper spot, rotation, whatever it might be, is sometimes a communication factor. And that's got to be constant on the defensive side. If you don't say a word on the attacking side, that's okay for me. Because your eyes should do the talking and you need your eyes and vision to defend as well. But that you people behind the ball have to communicate and they have to do it forcefully and they have to give specific instructions. 
So if Maldi Amundsen is running behind Tommy McNamara, somebody should be screaming to the heights for that young man to get inside of McNamara. So there's no chance that he taps at home. I don't know if that was there. Maybe there was that. It's hard. You, you can't tell because it's not like it's MLS's back tournament where they have the mics all over the field and you can hear every everything going on and every <laughs> every piece of instruction. But, uh, yeah, so I, I wonder about that. You know, the other part of the game that we've got to talk about is the fact that we had the, the debut of uh, both Brazilian players. So we had uh, Titus Magno in the first half and Thiago Andrade in the second half, and they replaced each other and played the same position. And at first, uh, at first view, it's Andrade with the uh, with the upper hand, uh, seeing his speed, his dribbling ability, his uh, ways of getting into the box. Got himself open for a couple of shots, scored one of them, uh, almost got a second one, uh, stopped of course by the wall, Matt Turner, and then uh, Ismael Tajirishradi turned that one in. So, um, I mean, to me. At the beginning, it, it seems that uh, Andrade just seems to come at a, at a different level as far as, you know, speed and, and, and being engaged into the game. And uh, I, we're going to see much better of uh, Titus Magno going forward. But it was a very rough start for him. He didn't seem to get into the flow of the game at all. But, and it wasn't his debut. It was his starting debut because he debuted at LAFC yeah, starting debut, correct. for 23 minutes. And uh... Yeah, there's no question. I mean, Tiago got three shots on goal uh, and his, his first one, he just swept it a little wide left. I mean, every one of his takes was was a quality chance. So there's little question that he had uh, uh, massively more of an impact. Tyler's never got into the game when, yeah. when he got on the ball. Nothing really happened. Uh, he doesn't have the kind of pace. There was one ball played through by, I think, uh, Amundsen where it was it looked the construction looked great and then the ball was played and magna was level with the defender and by the time the defender won the ball he was about five yards trailing so you can tell he's not a pacey guy so he's gonna have to do with guile his height and his power uh so uh i i did think tyler's had some impact at lafc i think we saw some nice things drew a corner kick uh but tiago you know and i think tiago was too unselfish twice he got the ball with acres in front of him. Remember that one? He was, he was carrying it towards the top of the box and he slips one to Tati Castellanos, you know, when he got to the, uh, you know, 18. Where, where do you guys think he can be the most dangerous for New York city? Right. Where he played left wing. Yeah. Wide. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, cause especially at the end of the second half against tired defenses. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think he's so. He's going to create havoc again. If he, if he's coming off the bench. I don't think we'll see him central. I don't think he'll come into the middle at all, especially with the arrival of Santiago Rodriguez. And, and he got his little cameo to get his feet wet. But um, I think over the next two games, in one of them at least, I think we'll see him you know, get a run at the number 10. Look, that, they've, been, they've been limiting Maxi Morales' minutes in training. So you can't tell me they're not going to manage his minutes uh, in, these, uh, in these games with three matches in eight days. So I, I'm, I'm anxious to see how... You know, Ronnie and then uh, Gabriel Heinze, you know, he's another guy that does not like to rotate lineups, but he's in that three match and eight day period, too. So I'm very interested to see the lineups on Wednesday of these two coaches who generally don't really like to they don't like to rotate. I think I think Ronnie feels and a lot of coaches feel that they've got more liberty to stick with some guys because they've got five lineup changes. 
and that True. affords them the opportunity to be able to to do more. So I, I think it changes it from where we were two years ago when you only had three. And, no, that's that's huge. And I I just think it makes a difference. It's Ariel, like, what do you think the biggest difference or maybe biggest change might be for Wednesday? It's hard for me to to imagine right now that Tadas Magno will be a starter again. I think that Thiago did things pretty well, pretty well in uh, on Saturday, and the chances is going for him. That's my my guess. Or, or Shra- how about Shradi? Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. Or Shradi, uh, or is it Shradi for Medina? So you're not pushing Medina 90 minutes every match during this congestion. That's it. You need to 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 move the the the, the roster a little bit, and I'm I'm sure that, I mean. What happens right now is that Ronnie cannot say anymore, I, I need players because the club has brought in players, so he needs to use them. He's got uh, options, yeah. Yeah, so he's a little bit in the in the position that he he cannot say that anymore. I mean, if he keeps on playing Maxi and uh, Medina and uh, um, Castellanos, well, Castellanos' position is a little bit more difficult to, to replace. But the other guys, the the, four, the 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 attacking players, he has a lot of, of options right now. So he needs to meddle a little bit, try options, find the the best uh, player for for the position or, or the rival. And the problem is that there's so little time uh, until Wednesday, and uh, um, uh, the Atlanta game comes too soon. I mean, I don't know if he's able to to study what these options can really bring to the team. So I don't know. I don't know. But um, he did take Tati out 76 minute mark. And I think that was, I bet I'm guessing, and I I will choose to ask him this as well along the way. I'm guessing that was part of the plan so that Tati could play all three matches in this stretch. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, yeah. you said the other day uh, that uh, you thought that Tati was winded. I well, did. We were talking about this. You thought that he was exhausted. I did. I, I did. I, I did think that, but he's been left on the field in that same state in other matches. So have you ever seen Ronnie take him off with 15 minutes to play in a match? No, it's, I don't no, think it's been has. a while. I mean, especially because he doesn't have, you know, he's he hasn't had options. Now he's got a little bit more, not exactly... Yeah. You don't have a like-for-like replacement at number nine, but um, you still have other options and play differently to be able to uh, to score. Somebody else, by the way, who's um, you know that that's going to be in the mix somehow or another is going to be uh, Nicolas Acevedo, who comes back from serving his red card. So then you have a decision to make: Are you going to keep Alfredo Morales as a starter there, or are you putting Acevedo back there and letting Morales come in? and play the last 30 minutes or so, considering, you know, that, uh, you know, he's a veteran. I'm not going to say he's up there in age because he's 31 years old. He should be able to play three games. But, you know, if you want to get everybody back and, you know, playing, I think that that's one of the other changes that we can see for New York City. I didn't think Morales really put his stamp on the game the way I would expect him to. Alfredo Morales. I was just going to ask what you guys thought of his performance, yeah. And what about Keaton Parks? He, he he didn't have a great game either. No, I mean, they both did things that were like for what their roles and 
tools are like uh, Morales was very tough in winning the ball and uh, he didn't add much to the distribution and the movement forward. And, and, yeah, and Keaton Parks is just not, he needs to be more dangerous. I, it's, and a guy that size and he's coming out of the midfield. I just, you look at, I'll tell you, that's one thing that distinguishes Atlanta. Every time that ball gets forward, there's five guys in the air. Have you noticed that there's like four or five guys in a box every time they're in. There's a service for the right or the left. There's like four guys in a box. Yeah. They attack with five or six, and then the others kind of just hold back. They're a real interesting team, Atlanta. Their fullbacks are in. They are so susceptible to the counterattack. That's why I think it's going to be a pretty fun game. Santiago Sosa is a great, great player. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, winning uh, awards that MLS gives away at the end of the season, like... uh, Newcomer of the year, whatever. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, he's great. He's great. This is a great tactical game, I thought, because he plays in between the two center backs a lot. It was really looked like a three-back system, and he was the, the center of it, even though he was kind of listed as a midfielder. And uh, and then their wingbacks, who was it? It was Lennon and um, Bello, really dangerous. And how about, did you guys notice this about them? So, Tom, this is pretty, this is going to be cool about this game Wednesday night, too. When... The opponent gets over the midfield stripe. It is pure man to man. In other words, Brooks Lennon was covering Montero for Philadelphia on the right side of the pitch. And then the ball got released somewhere. And Montero went for the right side of the pitch to the left. And Brooks Lennon followed him all the way across to the other side of the pitch. So when you when you watch if you watch that game, you'll see Brooks Lennon on the left oftentimes because he's been tracking Montero all over the place. So how do you take advantage of that if you're in New York City? Oh, my God, you're moving off you the throw ball, all your man. fast, fast guys out there. Well, no, it's just like you, you make opposite movements and you can unbalance a team so easily when they're running around man marking. But you have to be smart about it. Uh, to me, that's like somebody that plays a high line or an offside trap or whatever. I think those things are easily solved. And I think if somebody's if you're composed on the ball and you're confident as a unit and you're connected as a unit, if you've got teams running around marking you man to man, you should be able to beat that. Lots of big chances should should be created from that. I think it's a ridiculous way to defend personally in the modern day. But, you know, well, uh, Almeida doesn't Almeida do that all over the field. Yeah. And San Jose has been unbelievably successful in this time there. Right. Come on. Well, I mean, I I don't think you can only blame the system. I'm not. Have you you seen their roster? I'm saying. They've been wildly successful playing that way, right? That Look, teams don't like playing San Jose. I think teams eventually probably won't like playing Atlanta because no one likes constant pressure. No one likes that. But the ability to break it and solve it, if you're if they're running around man to man, if Brooks Lennon is running across the field and vacating the spot, I just think that's gold if you're an attacking team. I don't know. I just, well, look at it. Be interested to see how it goes. I can't wait for that first time. Brooks Lennon is sprinting across the field, covering Tiago. I was going to uh, say, was, yeah, <laughs> release him in the second half and good luck. I mean, it, it works with Bielsa. Bielsa's done pretty well with the man marking, you know, which is a part of his system. So, uh, but I think his is, his is more like so man, is the, man and zone. He's got it more figured out somehow. I don't know. So, so then is the most intriguing part about Wednesday's matchup, just the, the formation and the, the tactics. I think so. I can't. This is one time I can't wait to talk to Ronnie because I've really I watched the game closely and I've, I've watched two games out for Atlanta. I just I'm, I just want to go piece by piece, you know, how they set up and what he's thinking. I think it's intriguing. And you said it, Ariel. There's not much time to prepare for something that's completely different from what that's, almost yeah. any other team does. 
Yeah, yeah. You know? And for Atlanta, it's hard as well because they are missing, obviously, Joseph Martinez. They don't find the, the, the right replacement for him up top. So they're doing what they can with uh, Cubo Torres and, and the young Paraguayan guy. They played pretty well on, on, on Sunday, but again, they, they, they failed to defend uh, a 2-1 yeah. advantage and they end up losing. Uh, Uh, tying the game 2-2 at the end of the of, of the game. It's not having a... Well, on a world-class goal by Glesnes. That's oh, yeah. Sure. You're talking course. about Eric Lopez, right? Eric Lopez, the yeah. The Paraguayan guy you're talking is Eric Lopez? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's good. He's good. Yeah. How about... Man, Kubo Torres, who is apparently Joseph Martinez's replacement, uh, I think... Did I hear this right? Seven, month and 23, seven months and 23 days since his last goal? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what was said. I got to look at this. Hold well, on. I'm well, Roberto's looking that up, Glenn. Was. So clearly you would not play man-to-man defense, but what is the, uh, I guess, what's intriguing about it or why do some coaches choose to employ that style? What's the benefits of it or why would you? <laughs> well, it's a mentality. It's like this, uh, it, it's hard to play against sometimes because, so if you're Montero for Philadelphia and you've released the ball and you go move to the other side of the field and you got this freaking guy in your back pocket, it could become frustrating. But what you have to do is not let it become frustrating. And when you look at all the, the off the ball movements, I just interviewed a guy today who uh, had analyzed the 2014 euros and uh, he's come up with a principle um, which he actually got from Roberto Martinez, who's the Belgium coach seven to one. And that is, For every seven movements you make, you actually get the ball once. And I think that the big thing here, and you know, there's a whole lot of components to this, but the big thing here is that you cannot get frustrated. Number one, if you don't get the ball in certain situations, but number two, if a guy is doing that to you, you're eventually, he's eventually going to be ball watching or something. You'll be able to sneak behind him and you just have to keep moving off the ball, opposite movements and, uh, and actually just take them away from danger areas. If I'm Montero, I'll run into the corner. He's going to go with me, and that's going to keep the, put this big, wide-open space, you know, in, in some other part of the field. So that's the hard part. You're leading these big vacuoles where uh, a good attacking team is going to exploit it. All right, Roberto, have you finally uh, diagnosed this? I've got this. His last, his last goal, which is his only goal for Atlanta, was against Orlando City in a 4-1 loss the 28th of October of 2020. Through the man. <laughs> So that's not, is that seven months? It's over seven months. Yeah, it has to be because okay. we're in month number six already. When I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, isn't this guy a goal scorer? No. Apparently He's not. He's a center forward. He's not a goal scorer. And it was a header, just in case you. And, I then, mean, he, and you the know, dude he that came in for him. He started out his career okay. He started well, that, out his career okay because when he was with, so if we go back, okay, With Chivas, uh, with Guadalajara, in his first 71 games with Chivas back in uh, 2010 to 2012, 15 goals in 71 games. But he really came on the scene when he played with the Chivas USA in 2013 to 2014. He had 22 goals in 45 games. And they were like, oh, this guy's going to be good. So Guadalajara pulls him back and he scores five times in 14 games. Then they send him to Houston and he goes 0 for 23. He goes on loan to Cruz Azul and he goes 0 for 3. He comes back to Houston and he does okay, 14 for 31 games. They send him to Pumas in Mexico. He gets two goals in eight games. 
From there, he goes to Tijuana, and he gets seven goals in 37 games with Cholos. And since then, he's been with Atlanta, and he's one goal in 20 games. But, I, I but there's been always a talk about indiscipline and not being fit and all sorts of things with him. I don't know if you remember earlier this season when they announced that they were bringing back Kubo to, to Atlanta. Um, it was a very strange press release because uh, it was as usual. We're glad to have a Kubo back in the team and so on and so on and so on. But they said that uh, the main role for Kubo this, this season would be uh, being some sort of... Uh, coach or uh, somebody like, who could motivate the young the young guys the young wow. strikers like and, a mentor or something yeah a mentor and work together uh, along with the atlanta too i mean he was going to be part of atlanta united first team but he was going to uh take part in trainings and activities with atlanta too so i, I thought it was a smart decision i mean he's a a uh, well-known player. He's got experience. He's uh, back in MLS to play maybe 10 games per season. And uh, it was smart. The thing that the, the, the striker that was going to take uh, Joseph Martinez's place was Lisandro Lopez. And he stayed uh, for just some weeks in MLS. He had to go back to Argentina because he's uh, uh But his father contracted COVID and uh, unfortunately he died from COVID in, in, in Buenos Aires and he left the team. So uh, Kuo wasn't supposed to be playing these, these games that we saw on Sunday, for instance. He was, he was going to have a marginal uh, role yeah. in Atlanta United. Well, so, I, I pulled up the release, uh, Ariel. So here it is, February 3rd, 2021. He's 28 years old. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's not like he's, he's over the hill. It's unbelievable. So Atlanta United announced today it has agreed to a new contract with free agent forward uh, Eric Kubo Torres. He will also take on a more direct role working alongside academy players yeah. and staff. Interesting. And then, this is from uh, Boca Negra, the, uh, the tech director. Uh, Kubo has been a positive influence on our organization. We're pleased to have he has chosen to resign while he provides competition to our group of forwards. He's a veteran presence who understands the league and has shown a willingness to mentor our younger players. He makes it sound like he's 37 years old. Yeah. He's like, he's, he's the 40-year-old. Coming back for one last hurrah. Yeah, exactly. It's unbelievable. So, I mean, I tease Efrain Juarez that he, that he quit <laughs> the game at 31. <laughs> he's 32. Efrain Juarez is 32 years old. He's a contemporary of Carlos Vela. They both yeah. won the U-17 yeah. uh, World Cup in, uh, what was it, 2003 or something like that? Kubo so and... Like, uh, you're retired? <laughs> Kubo and Tommy Mack must have been teammates then. Chivas 2014. Tommy Mack yeah. was on that team. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. So Lisandro Lopez was the, 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 the designated uh, second striker for Atlanta. He's out of the team right now. And they are shopping around, trying to bring somebody, I believe, from Argentina or Brazil. And uh, maybe in the secondary transfer market, we will know who that guy is. There's a couple of quite important uh, strikers in Argentina that are free right now. Somebody from... Boca, somebody from River, they are in a very bad economical situation right now. So um, the guys from those teams and other teams are 
longing to, 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 to leave the country as, as soon as possible. So I believe that uh, one of them will come to Atlanta. I, I understand that uh, it will be somebody that Heinze knows and knows well. So um, somebody like Lisandro Lopez, who was perfect for, for that role. All right. Hey, you know, the, the, the Cardinal Tevez was spotted in Miami with Zach Steffen of all places, a role yeah. on a boat with a whole bunch of other players. And okay. Tevez left Boca. Uh, that, that, the way he seemed to leave Boca didn't look like it was very good. He's 38. And, uh, He's he 38, didn't say Roberto. he retired. No, no I know no. that. He didn't say he was retired. You know, he said he left the team. He didn't say he's retired and he would still consider playing other places if they gave him a chance. How much does uh, El Apache have left in him? I don't know, but uh, he's not what he was. Maybe one one season or something like that. But he's a he's a shell of what about, of, this, about what the same was. as as about the same as Coach Kubo Torres. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, he can be a second player coach. And and this guy, you know, about well, him? the guy that came out, Jackson Conway, that replaced him late. I mean, it was his debut, and he's not the answer either. So I mean. This is time for New York City to strike. Let's let's face it. I mean, Barco could do anything and change oh the God, game. We know that. Win. This is a must win. It's well, a must win. Is that what you're no, classifying? It's, home. it's a get. It's it. Yeah, this is a must win. Why, a, I, I, take three does anybody remember when I when I classified a game not long ago a must win and Roberto went on for about an hour about how I could call it a must win? Yeah, I recall that. Does anybody remember that? Yep. Because right. it was uh, there was different circumstances. Oh the my circumstances God. that you're playing a lower level. Basically, a lower-level team, the way they stand now without Joseph Martinez, they're missing players. Obviously, the most important player is Joseph. So uh, this should be a they're – on, they're coming on the road. They played with one day less rest because they played Sunday. New York City played Saturday. All these things add up to, yeah, if you're going to be the dominant team at home that New York City has always shown to be, you can't lose this game. I think it's a, I think it's a big match. It's, it's, I hope somebody shows up at Red Bull Arena. This uh, whole Red Bull Arena, people up. not coming to the game, and all this talk about supporters and fans at Red Bull Arena. I am exhausted by it. Come to the freaking games or stay home, whatever you want to do. But I don't want to read about anything else. Just support the team, whether you're going to support them by being there or support them from your home, support them from a bar, support them from, uh, uh, you know, Washington Heights, wherever you want to be. Just stop talking about uh, listen, it. Either come to the game or to don't. the games on radio or listen to them on radio. The games on there radio. you go. Exactly. Or go NYCFC.com slash or buy a home in D.C. And, and watch it from there. There you go. <laughs> Contact Tom. Yeah. Well, I'll help <laughs> on you out. Twitter, at well, I don't know and, if it's a uh, must win, but both teams are on 11 points. I mean, the East is fairly tight from top to bottom right now. So three points could go a long way in the grand scheme of things. New York City's playing pretty well. I think it was a little distressing that the, the defending was a little less organized than it's been. The absence of Collins certainly makes a difference there. But James Sands, he's more than an able replacement. He's used to playing at the back in the center. If you get another thrilling match on Wednesday and it's going to be two teams coming off, you know, high energy matches. So it's going to be rough. And then they both have to play on the weekend again. So I think there's going to be it's going to be an open game. I, I really do. I think it's going to be an open game. A lot I of chances. So. That'll be fun. Four to three. I just don't oh. know which team's going to win. It's <laughs> a lot of goals and or defensive mistakes. Yeah. Potentially. You don't care about. Yeah, you Sean, don't care about Sean Johnson and Bradner saying, "Come on, man, Guzan, Guzan." He's got a lot of names. 
or just call him Goose, <sighs> like the Atlanta fans. Yeah, he's, right, a, he's, a, he's a really good goalie, too. So Well, and there he and Sean are in the uh, preliminary roster, right, or on it. Not many people uh, expect we'll 60. We'll see when they cut it down. Speaking of being cut down, Mexico cut their roster down to 45, and Chicharito isn't on it. And so my theory on this is that you put him on the 60 to give him an opportunity to talk for both of them to talk and either they did talk and didn't get anything done or Pata expected them to talk and Chicharito didn't make a phone call and that's it. And uh, he's off the, he, he went from 60 to 45 and Chicharito wasn't on it. It's not the player's responsibility to make a call to a coach when they're on a provisional roster. So number one, well, no, the thing is, is that there's supposed to be some, um, there was supposed to be an issue that had happened after that three, nothing win from Mexico, uh, over the, uh, over the U S at MetLife. Then they supposedly had the day off the day after that, but they were photographed. Uh, a lot of players on the team were photographed having brunch in Manhattan. And then somehow for some reason, which I don't understand that didn't sit very well. And uh, all of a sudden Chicharito isn't on the 18 when they play Argentina a few days later, I believe in Houston and they get smacked around four zip. And we haven't seen Chicharito on a Mexican national team since. And wow. so there seems to have been some sort of disagreement and, well, what I've heard in Mexican media, and I don't know how much weight to give on that because I know Mexican media sometimes talks out of place, but supposedly there's supposed to be some sort of an apology asked for that so far hasn't been. I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's one of the stories circulating. There are two huge egos involved, Tatas and Chicharitos. I don't know if Chicharito would call Tata and I'm pretty sure that Tata wouldn't call Chicharito to talk. <laughs> I, I, I believe that the decision was already taken. Tata just put him in the 60 names list. And he already knew that he was going to take him out when he gave the 45 names list. And that's it. He took, uh, uh, he wanted to appease a little bit the, pre the, the, the Mexican press. And, and that's it. I, I don't, I wouldn't. Uh, speculate that much. He, the decision was already taken. Why would he nationalize a guy like Fulvis Mori if he was thinking about bringing Chicharito back? I mean, too complicated, too many people involved. Um, hey guys, well, oh, we no, have I a. Think... Oh, go ahead, Roberto. Uh, I hear, oh, wait a minute. I hear, uh, they, they I hear Ariel's dog. Yeah, yeah. dog. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's over there. All right. Dog doesn't like Chicharito either. And, and, and one of my cats is meowing here in the background, too. The thing is, is that Mexico, with a lack of center forwards because Hector Jimenez is hurt, and we don't know when he's finally going to get back to full health, hopefully for Mexico's sake, by the time World Cup qualifiers start, uh, they need a replacement. Everybody who they've run you know, to try to, uh, at the number nine, hasn't worked. And so they, they need to find somebody. So putting all your eggs in the Funes Mori uh, basket at this point, seems sort of a little bit foolhardy, unless, you know, you've got somebody else there, but so far, nobody else has, and Chicharito has been informed this year. I know he hasn't scored in the last three games for the LA Galaxy, but he still has seven goals in eight games overall, so, I mean, and he, and if you watch him play, more than the effectiveness in front of goal, 
you you see the spark that was the spark that made him Chicharito, that he was a a killer in the penalty area that has that great instinct that the ball seems to find him, or if not, he seems to go and find the ball and he's had, you know, great speed in, in, in short burst to be able to get the balls that most people wouldn't be able to get to. So well, not enough for Tata. It's, it's sad to see. Yeah. yeah is that it's about egos a lot. It really yeah. is about egos. And um, I, I feel bad. Uh, Chicharito said all the right things in press conferences, sort of like, uh, if I'm there, I'm honored and I'll do my best on the Mexican national team. And if they don't call me in, then, you know, I'll support them. It's not my decision. I can't do anything. I can't say anything. You know, he said all the right things to the press, oh. but uh, taking the high road and all of this. But uh, it, it's a shame for Mexico. And hey, I'll say it. It's an opportunity for the U.S. And even though Mexico is going to bring pretty much 95% of the roster that played in the Nations League and the United States is going to bring uh, basically a maybe 20% of that roster that was in Nations League, especially the, the ones that played uh, starting minutes. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, match up if they ever do play again in, in uh, Gold Cup. Yeah, well, hey, speaking of different cups, while well, we have a few minutes left, of course, other tournaments around the world going on. Uh, Copa uh, down in South America, and of course the Euros going on. Guys, just uh, open it up. Which teams have you enjoyed watching uh, in each tournament? Has one team or two teams really stood out to you? Is it a style of play? Maybe some coaching? Glenn, uh, from the games you've seen, who's stood out to you? Italy, uh, for me by far. Um, I just think uh, the, the level of play, decisions, defending, attacking. We, I talked about all these off-ball movements. You know, yeah, no goals they, allowed, right, through the group stage? they're just, they're playing near perfect soccer, but I think we should, I think we have to give, you know, the, the amount of crap that Frank DeBoer has received for the last, what, three years, I'm not saying he didn't earn it, but we've got to give him at least some uh, credit for the, uh, the revolution of the Netherlands here in the euros, because I don't know uh, if folks expected uh, this kind of performance out of them. You know, you've got players like Wijnaldum and Depay who are performing at a high level and are scoring goals. That's the one team that I, I think after Italy that I, I've been a, a bit intrigued with because I think Frank DeBoer was poor in Atlanta and with MLS. He had a disaster prior to his arrival in MLS and uh, his initial stages with the Netherlands went poorly as well. So I would credit him and uh, Jason Longshore spoke to him today. He's, he's uh, the guy that he probably knows more about the Atlanta United team than anyone. He's been there from the outset and he's one of their radio commentators. And he said uh, he really liked Frank DeBoer and most of the people around the team liked him, uh, not just the media, because he was respectful. Uh, he uh, was open to listening. And that came from players and people uh, in the, um, you know, around the team. So people that are on the inside that got a closer look at it, uh, I still think it was I, I can't believe what he did with Atlanta United after Tata left. But uh um, I think that's a classic example of you can't just instill your system. Yeah, you have to do things gradually. And I credit Ronnie Dyler for doing that for New York City FC. He didn't. Well, you got to be and- able to look at your personnel and adjust your system to the personnel. It's a lot easier to change your system than it is to change, you know, eight players out of a team to to make it all fit. And he didn't have the right pieces, and that, and he failed, and he failed miserably here, and he failed miserably to begin his uh, career. Back with the Netherlands, I mean, they were awful. But having said that, 
they've played well. Not so even that far long ago in, in the Euro. Didn't they? That long ago, exactly. They had a two-two draw, but now in the Euros, yeah. seemingly they have figured it out. Anyway, oh, the team oh, that we'll stands see. out for me is England, <laughs> not in a good way. That that, that tie with uh, was Scotland. I mean, they were lucky to get out of there alive. And uh, Harry Kane was basically running around looking for service, looking for balls, and not finding him. The fact that you've got somebody like Jaden Sancho sitting on your bench and you don't use him at all is mind-boggling for me in the team that desperately needed some attacking form. And here's a guy who can really go and do things one-on-one and, and, and get into space and, uh, and, and be an attacking force, and you're just... First of all, you didn't even dress for the first game, and then you brought him up. You got him. You got him that better seat on the bench for the second game, and then you don't move him from there. It doesn't make any sense to me. And England is if they don't figure this out, they're going to crash out of this tournament way before they should, based on the level of talent that they have. And yeah. I do like Italy a lot. Well, who have you been watching lately? Uh, in the Euros, I've been watching Spain, which is a horrible ba- version of <laughs> the Spain that. Uh, won the Euros and the World Cup in 2010. Why is it a horrible uh, version? Uh, because it's an old team and the quality of the players that have taken places of uh, players like Villa Iniesta, they are not, uh, they are not the same level. Or they are far away from that level. It's a, uh, it's a very different generation. They are good players, but they are equal to, to whatever... Um, I don't know, uh, countries like England or, uh, um, of course, Italy, of course, France have, and they have better players than that even. So it's a very tough situation for, for Luis Enrique, the, the coach. Uh, he's doing what he can, I believe, but uh, the generation is not uh, that as good as, as people in Spain things of, uh, of their team. So they are paying the consequences right now. Maybe they will get eliminated in the next game. So that, 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 that would be hard for them. And then um, crazy. Sorry. That'd be crazy. Yeah. But they, they could get out, uh, be out of the, of the euros. And I mean, they have the chance of getting out of the euros. Yeah. And, um, of course, uh, they have uh, dramas very similar to the ones that uh, um, Latin American national teams have. Uh, how, how come we cannot beat uh, Poland? Well, Poland play well, and they have a guy like, like Lewandowski. So you don't have a guy like Lewandowski in Spain. So that's a big difference, for instance. <laughs> you don't rate uh, Murata then, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in Copa America, the one that's playing a little bit uh, different to the rest are Brazil, of course. And I believe that they will be win the, the Copa America with, with no problem. Uh, Peru is doing the last game by Peru was interesting. And then Uruguay, Chile, Argentina, the, the, the regular uh, teams that participate in the in the games that that matter at the end from a, let me ask you quick this from a, a talent standpoint yeah every time brazil or argentina take the field is it man for man not a question as to who 
who's the better team? Are they always going to field a superior team? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that about Argentina right now. Uh, I mean, they, they faced Chile in, in this Copa America, and they just tied. They played at, uh, against uh, Uruguay, and it won. It, it wasn't a, a very good game, either for Argentina or or or, or Uruguay. It's a. Uh, I mean, the level has dropped so much in Argentina in these last years, and uh, what we are seeing right now is uh, what's left of uh, Messi, Di Maria, Cunagüero, and another very good players that are reaching the final stages of their careers and that's it i mean there's no nothing left behind there's nobody to take their places of course they will i mean somebody will play in in 2026 but they won't be these guys and argentina needs to find a new generation start a new team try to qualify try to play better there's a lot of work to be done in Argentina. Brazil is a little bit more stable in that sense. I mean, they they are not uh, the, the, the best team around, but they are the best team around in South America. And that for the, winning the Copa America, that, that's enough. Hey, Tom, I think it's worth mentioning, if we just go back to MLS, that uh, it was announced today on Monday. Uh, we've talked about it before. It's It was a done deal a long time ago, but it's officially announced that uh, MLS will have a reserve league uh, starting in 2022, and although New York City FC has not made an announcement, it's almost assuredly uh, going to happen. There will be an NYCFC two. There are going to be 20 MLS reserve. How are you going to classify them in this league? And NYCFC will be one of them. We figure, and uh, where they'll play—that's always a big question. But they could play St. John's with the uh, attendance standards, Roberto. They were. They've yeah. adjusted uh, the attendance. Right. The way I understood it, the, the league will start with 20 teams in, uh, next year, but some of those teams can be independent teams. So it's not going to be 20 MLS teams. It's going to be 20 teams total, and some of them might be independent. You know, there, there's been talk about uh, the, the Rochester Rhinos and uh, that, they, you know, that they're looking for a league, and they made this big announcement with, with Vardy, of all people, yeah. being one of the investors. Uh, yes, the Vardy from, from Leicester. So, um, yeah, you're right. That's, they I, might wind up being 20 uh, teams, in the huh? but they're saying a majority of them are going to be MLS teams. Like Portland, yeah, T2, be MLS. I don't know if you saw this, Tom, T2 is back. Yeah. Portland, yeah. Portland is one team that has announced they will be in. I, I don't, maybe some other but teams. They said did, they're going to name it. They're going to rename the team. I mean, I don't know what they're going to call it, but uh, I don't I, rename I, it. That's ridiculous. That's like renaming all these God blessed stadiums. Who, what, what is the Columbus Cruise new stadium? Look, oh, I, oh I, I didn't see the name. Yeah, what that's is it? a good one. Uh, let, let me find it out. It oh, it's loan. No, what loan? Lower, lower dot com. Lower, lower, lower dot com field. <laughs> lower oh, yeah, okay. field. Oh uh, my! I, I don't care about the stadium names. I care about the team names. You know, all these, all, all these teams that are going very generic. And by the way, the Chicago Fire just. Uh, brought out their new logo. That's a lot more. It's a lot closer to their first logo and nowhere near their horrific second logo. So will this so, new league rival USL? Yes. Or is it- yes. It's going to be division three. It's going to be classified as a division three league. And, right. uh, and some of the MLS teams that are in USL now will shift over to this league. 
the USL championship is the second tier, but then there's USL league one, which is the third tier, which is where this MLS reserve league will be. So it's going to be, uh, yeah. Wait, is USL. Wait, I thought that USL was already second division. USL one was three and then USL championship was four. No, it's championship league one, league two in USL. Uh, whatever. It's just like, like in England, it's the same. It's, it's they're using the, the championship one, two that, and that's where USL set up. Why, why are we always looking East when it comes to soccer in this country? Just because of the bloody language. Let's go and West. Yes, I use bloody for that reason. No, you're right. We should go West. We should call it USL Malibu. Well, we will keep an eye on that. Let's bring this one to a close as we get ready for our Wednesday broadcasts. Glenn, where can people listen to the Wednesday night match? NYCFC.com slash radio will be English and Spanish. I'm assuming our air times are similar. 715 for the 738. It's a 738 kickoff. And uh, the opponent, Atlanta United. So we talked a lot about the game. It's going to be a fun one. So, uh, yeah, we'll have that. And Ronnie Dyla's pregame, I think, is going to be very interesting. I really do. Because I'm going to ask him all the questions that you'd all like to ask him. Okay. And sure. then some. There you go. Roberto, where's the Spanish? Okay. So the Spanish, as Glenn said, nycfc.com slash radio. And when you get to the tune-in channel, hit the favorite button so you can just go straight there. Uh, always so well uh, accompanied by Ariel, who's here with us today as well. So we're going to do a Facebook Live on my page at 6 p.m. And that's going to be on Facebook, obviously, at uh uh, at Robert, uh, at Roberto Abramowitz Oficial, which is 1F. So we'll do that. And then uh, we'll have our pregame show on TuneIn at 7.15. We'll have Efrain Juarez uh, doing the pregame uh, with us. Well, he'll be interviewed for the, for the pregame, as always now. And then the game starts 7.38, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We hope it's a fun one. And Ariel and I are going to be thrilled uh, to be back at Red Bull Arena to call that one because we, we love our press box in Red Bull Arena. Yeah. It's great to see the field. There you yeah, go. We take, we take pictures sometimes, put it on Twitter. You're on the roof yeah. looking down. On, I mean, it's just, it's the tactical cam. It really yeah. is the tactical cam. Yeah. That, yeah. That people watch on some of these streams and stuff. Tactical cam. That's yeah. what we see. Ariel, where can people follow what you're up to? And thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Well, what Roberto and, and, and Glenn said, uh, nycfc.com slash radio for the game, for the game on, on, on Wednesday. And you can follow my job or whatever I do in, uh, <laughs> in <laughs> whatever football, you do, footballmls.com, the Spanish yeah, there you go. Major League yeah. Tom, I, I do, I, I have a request. Okay. But I want to, I want to talk to Roberto a little bit, mostly because it's his neighborhood. So my wife and I, uh, she asked me, what do you want to do on Father's Day? I said, let's go see this movie in the Heights because we had seen the Broadway production uh, years earlier. I, and it's a it's a uh, it's a play now, a movie about Washington Heights and in, in particular, the Latino portion of the neighborhood. Roberta lives in Washington Heights and Lynn Manuel Miranda is is the guy who not only wrote it, the script, but he wrote the music. I mean, it, it's really a but he's also from it's his neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's why. I mean, so it's like it's this amazing experience. I tend to like musicals, Tom. I, I, I love Broadway, but this one in particular, when we saw it in person 
and uh, and Lin-Manuel Miranda was the lead. Uh, you know, it's his neighborhood. It's his play. It's his script. It's his music. And he's the lead. I mean, that's unusual unto itself. But Roberto, what I wanted to bring up and I don't I, I and I, I think this is this is important because I, I would imagine that the people that listen to this podcast are, are mixed. I'm a white guy from suburban New Jersey. I, I was extremely disturbed that Lin-Manuel Miranda had to go on Twitter and defend himself for not having enough Latino color uh, uh, actors representing his community for this uplifting play and movie, which creating awareness of the Latino community and immigrants in particular and what they go through and their importance in our society. And especially now uh, when we need to focus on it. And I'll just read you briefly this tweet that he put out. I promise to do better in my future projects dedicated to the learning and evolving we all have to do to make sure we are honoring our diverse and vibrant community. I'm learning from the feedback. I'm trying to hold space for both the incredible pride of the movie we made and be accountable for our shortcomings. And I can't believe that he got so much crap that he had to put this out. A guy who's been so massive in this community. But I wonder what you think, Roberto. Am I the white guy from Jersey? Am I out of line here? This exhausts me. This particular tweet exhausted me. What's your uh, opinion? Uh, let me put it. Let me put it to this way. Okay. And you've bumped into um, him a couple of times. I mean, he's literally in the neighborhood. I know him very casually. He he's a neighbor, and I'll leave it at that. And uh, he always has his heart in the right place. Okay. He's done so many magnificent things in all sorts of areas uh, to help not only Washington Heights, Puerto Rico, or pretty much any Hispanic cause, uh, and 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 outside of that. They're, they're just like their sensibilities and they're well documented and uh, there are reasons for them between in, in the American or in the American community between Hispanics, blacks and whites. But those same things to a lesser extent, but still exist within the Hispanic community where some people are, are have been more marginalized within the same community. So it's not just, well, you're Latino, so it's all the same. It's not all the same. And uh, and black Latinos sometimes don't get represented in the same way that white Latinos do. And so that's where that comes from. Right. And and I see from your perspective saying, well, you know, this celebrates a Latino community and it does. And everybody should be grateful for it. And I think people are from all walks of life within the Hispanic community grateful for such a, a wonderful piece of artistry that so is so uplifting of the community. But even within that, there are some divisions and there are some sensitivities. It's understood to a certain extent, and maybe it should have been addressed in a different fashion and all that. But I thought that the way that Lin-Manuel handled it was very, very well done as he handles everything else. And uh, I think that going forward, those sensibilities will be addressed in, you know, his future projects. So uh, we'll see that. The one thing that I want to talk about about In the Heights is that the first time that I saw it, it was obviously the play. Uh, I had heard about it. And uh, it turns out that two friends of mine that uh, worked with me at HBO, uh, Blanca Camacho and Tony Chiroldes, were in the play. And so I was able to get uh, house seats, which I bought. And uh, went and got to see the play. Uh, Lin Manuel wasn't in it at the time. He had already he had already gone on, and he was already working on Hamilton. 
And uh, so I got to see the play. It is just, it was so, so magnificent. As a matter of fact, Tony Chiroldi spent a lot of time in Puerto Rico over the past two years doing the play over there. Um, and the play, the play is magnificent. So if it ever comes back to Broadway or off-Broadway, if you see it on tour, I absolutely recommend seeing it. Obviously, go see the movie as well. But it was great to have two, you know, two great friends and colleagues of mine in, in that play and having such prominent roles. Uh, Blanca would tell me that she understudied nine different roles. The fact that I can't remember something that I would have to, that, I, that I've got to read from a teleprompter, a 20-second thing that I might have to do either for here or for someplace else, to me, just to, to understand nine different roles, and not only the, the lyrics, the songs, the blocking, everything, it is just unbelievable, the level of talent that it takes to, to do a play like that on Broadway. And so I, I am just in absolute awe of everybody. So I just wanted to give a shout out to, to Blanca and to Tony. And at the same time, give a shout out to a whole bunch of people uh, that this week we found out that uh, we got let go from another job. So uh, HBO has decided within the past week that they are no longer going to do Spanish language voiceovers. They're just going to subtitle everything. And all the wonderful people that have worked at HBO doing Spanish language voiceovers for so long and giving the highest quality content to Hispanic viewers and Hispanic viewers are losing out again. Just like what ESPN did and, you know, got rid of, you know, 30 of their top announcers here in the United States because they could find cheaper voices to do things in Latin America. Some cases very good, some cases not very good, but they were definitely cheaper and they did that. And uh, here we go again. I'm just so tired, so, so tired of the Hispanic community being treated as an afterthought, as somebody who can... You know, we can give them what's left over and that's fine. We will pool our resources to give the best in English and in English it has to be good and in Spanish it has to be in Spanish. So tired of this. I'm so tired. It's a battle that I battled for so long and I continue to battle and I never, I won't give up until everybody shuts me up somehow or, you know, unfriends me or does what because I know that I'm doing the right thing in fighting for that Hispanics in this country and everywhere should get the top quality material and not just, well, let's see how cheap we can do this. It's exhausting and it's gotta stop and it'll pay off in spades. It will pay off in spades if teams, MLS teams, put the same amount of resources in Spanish and the quality in Spanish that they do in English. So many teams that have Hispanic areas don't have Spanish language anything. They throw in radio and that's it. And they don't do anything else. And then they expect people to come. It doesn't work that way. You got to work hard to get everybody. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just yeah. absolutely insane. Well, keep fighting the battle, Roberto. Yeah, keep I will. I will. You know yeah. I will. Yeah. If I'm anybody will, if anybody will do it, we know it'll be you. But we know how good the the broadcast you guys do every week is. So. Well, I needed to bring that up. To enjoy that. Yep. Tom, well, I, I thank you right. for indulging me and, and Roberto course. on that because I thought it was an important play well, yeah. and movie and. And, I and we got someone on the be- podcast who lives in and breathes it every day. So that's pretty cool for Glenn Roberto, John, who cannot be with us and Ariel. Again, thank you so much for being a part of the, this podcast. I'm Tom. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of soccer in the city. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 